everybody and welcome back to the movie scramble podcast how lucky have you been during this apocalypse that we have more time in our hands now to record more yes i can hear you cheering in your loving rooms and basements and bunkers just now i'll be your host thomas i'm joined by mary and john first off mary how are you doing just now i'm surviving the apocalypse i'm not um I'm not one of these people who's been out, you know, hoarding baked beans and toilet paper and whatever else, but, you know, just getting used to working from home and not setting a foot over the doorstep, really. I don't even think you've left that attic, let alone the door. No, everybody else keeps asking this as well at work whenever we're doing video calls. They were like, it does look like you haven't moved in about seven days. And now that I'm 30, it does feel that way when you when you start to sit at a desk for a long time. <laughs> you, can, you really feel it. So, yeah, no, I mean, it'll... It, we're getting there. We're getting there. And John, I think the minute the word apocalypse was mentioned, you just instantly grew a beard. <laughs> <laughs> it takes a wee while for me to get to get this handsome, but you know, I work on it every single day of my life. In terms uh, of re- reviewing <laughs> your films, that's going to become more and more difficult unless more companies like Blumhouse start releasing stuff on demand. But we decided to have a look at movies that you, the listener can watch we're in isolation so we've looked at available streaming services so whatever you're subscribed to and we've picked our top three movies that we'd like to recommend to yourselves during these trying times there is no real criteria to it they're all different genres they're all different release dates some are classics some are new we just basically picked three films that we like and are recommending what's your first pick and where can our loyal listener watch it <laughs> Our loyal listener, if if they have Shudder, should definitely check out Damien Levesque's The Cleansing Hour, which is available on that particular streaming service. This is a film that I saw as part of Fright Fest at Glasgow Film Festival and was pleased to find out that it was available um, on demand. So it's a kind of almost like a, a loving pastiche of a horror movie. It certainly takes into account, you know, like exorcisms and kind of found footage films. And the premise of it is there's a online streaming service starring uh, Father Max, who's played by Ryan Guzman, and he exercises different people every week and rids them of their demons. But the show that he live streams is not getting a lot of viewers. Um, he's got loads and loads of groupies. Um, there's a couple of bedroom scenes that maybe insinuate he's he's not a fully committed priest. And he seems to be more concerned with, you know, selling official Vatican merch and his own self-image and stuff like that. So in a bid to boost viewers on their online stream, uh, Father Max decides to exercise the girlfriend of the producer called Lane and this girl does actually get possessed by a real demon and the live stream ensues so the the majority of the film is this this live stream exorcism and I just I couldn't go over how much I actually enjoyed it because I'm a bit of a pussy when it, come, when it comes to horror films but this had loads and loads of humour people were really laughing and getting involved there were some really brilliant practical effects like good old-fashioned kind of body horror type of thing and the way Damien Levesque sort of built the script you know there's only kind of three characters really carrying this whole thing and their, their chemistry is great and they, they really sort of give their all to it and the way it builds to its conclusion like it it's really tense and maybe not horror in the sense of like jump scares although there are a couple of those but it just kind of 
I don't know, I think it's the tension, it really, really gets to you and by the time it builds to conclusion, you are kind of sitting in your seat just waiting to, to exhale. It's, you know, really brilliantly acted, really brilliantly scripted. It's based on a short film that the director made and wrote a couple of years ago and now we sort of made it into a feature-length film. It got a great reaction at the festival. People were laughing, clapping, cheering. And it was just kind of, it's a, it's a smaller budget film. It's an indie film. And I feel like we should be taking this time to move away from maybe blockbusters and take a look at these guys instead. And as I say, it is available on Shudder and it's just an excellent bit of cinema. It's kind of something that'll kind of suck you in and it'll have something for everyone. It's got humour, it's got body horror, it's got good old-fashioned jump scares. It's a really good film. I think you would like it, Simi. I think it would appeal to you because it has a kind of dark sense of humour. Has it got seven sequels? No, it doesn't, unfortunately. So I know (laughs) that you'll be looking for, like, the cleansing hour five, but it's just the one (laughs) film for now. (laughs) Have you seen it, John? No, have not. No, I heard about it, obviously, through the film festival, but haven't actually had a chance to see it at all. There's one that I did want to see, but never really got the chance. Yeah, I'll definitely be keeping an eye on that one. I have went for something that's not an indie film, and it's not new either, but I had only seen this film for the first time the other week, and it's currently available on Now TV or Sky Cinema, depending on how you access that, and it's a 1985 classic The Breakfast Club. Now, I'm sure both of you have seen it, I actually hate this film. Sorry, Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I will agree with you, Thomas. I really like this film. I fun. love this. I absolutely love this. Now, I hadn't seen this. I hadn't seen this film. Like I said until recently, and I was concerned it was going to date it really, really badly. That kind of film where you had to be there at the time to appreciate it. But I loved it. I thought it was really funny. For those that haven't seen it, I hadn't even heard of it. I'm very, very surprised. But it's a group of school students, all different backgrounds. You've got the nerd, the jock, the popular girl, and they all have to spend detention one Saturday morning. Then they all start to bond about their similarities and realize and form friendship. I, just, I thought it was brilliant. I really liked it. And it's very apt for two reasons. One, recording of this podcast is March 25th. Yesterday there was a meme going about it was on Saturday, March 24th, 1984, that five students at Shermer High School reported <laughs> detention at 7am. And in terms of the current climate in regards to isolation and being quarantined and detained in our homes, <laughs> it just shows you the friendships you can form with people in your household that you might not have liked before. <laughs> so why don't you like this film, Mary? I'm curious. Do you know, I think it may be the circumstances in which I first watched it. I had... Um just the most boring as fuck media studies teacher in sixth year at school and she sort of fed it to us in segments and her voice was so boring and she spoke over most of it that I think I associate the experience of watching it with the film itself. Maybe if I went back to it in different circumstances, i.e. UK lockdown, I might enjoy it. That makes sense, actually. Can you think you're a worse way to watch a movie than that? (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it felt like more punishment than the than the Breakfast Club were going through themselves. So yeah, maybe if I watched it now, I would feel differently. I remember watching it at the time when it actually came out, when I was only about 40. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a, a great film. It was obviously one of the films that formed part of the whole Brat Pack sort of thing that was going on in the 80s. And... It's just the sort of the ultimate film out of that sort of whole 
subgenre, if you like. It's great, great movie. Really enjoyed it. I, I, Mary, you've got no soul. That's what that's all I can say. My first pick is the 2004 British crime drama Lair Cake, which is on Netflix at the moment. This is a film that was directed by Matthew Vaughan. It was his directorial debut after forming producer roles previously. And it stars Daniel Craig, Colin Meem, Colm Meany, uh, Sienna Miller. And it's actually quite a, a cast of characters in it, all in fairly minor roles, who have gone on to do some uh, pretty special things. You've got the likes of Ben Wishaw there. I'm trying to think who else. There's lots of lots of wee sort of cameo roles, which is amazing to actually see. Tom Hardy pops up in it, for goodness sake, in a very early performance. Basically, the film centres around drug dealer Daniel Craig, who is trying to get out of the cocaine business. He's very successful at it. He knows what he's doing, and he's decided now is the time to get out. Now, before he can do that, the local crime boss makes two requests of him. One is to track down daughter of one of his associates who has gone missing, and the second is to oversee the purchase of a million ecstasy tabs. Obviously, neither of the tasks go well, and all sorts of shenanigans ensue. This is a really, really cool film. It's just so well done from start to finish. The Daniel Craig character, who is unnamed, narrates the film to begin with, sets it up for you. It's very sort of prototype Bond role, if you like. It was one of the roles that really sort of sealed it for him, actually getting the the nod to go on and do Casino Royale. It's just a brilliant, brilliant piece of work. Just the way that it's all been put together and the, the various elements of it. You've got London thugs, you've got Serbian crime lords, and there are all these war criminals, and there's like cons going on, and there's a heist. One of the highlights of the whole film for me was uh, a scene in a cafe where there's three characters, and Duran Duran's Ordinary World is playing in the background, and it's one of the most brutal... Mm brutal scenes you are likely to see on film with this really nice song playing in the background it's just oh you're kind of going oh my god oh oh no no (laughs) it's just it's wonderful absolutely wonderful it's just such a juxtaposition between the nice song and the the on-screen graphic violence can't recommend that highly enough have you guys seen it recently or at all not recently i haven't seen it recently the ending I remember very clearly, and definitely that Duran Duran scene, that is, when I first woke well, I've only seen the film the once, but when I watched it, I was like, whoa, I just, it's such a powerful scene, and I love that song anyway, and it's, that, yeah, as you say, the juxtaposition of it, it just, it, yeah, it's great, I, 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 I do like the film. I remember the marketing campaign for it really clearly, because it was the Reggie plate, and then you basically just saw, like, Sienna Miller's legs and, like, stockings and suspenders. Like it's yes. quite a quite a strong visual for that film. That's why I always remember about it more than anything else. It's like a nice example. Well, not a nice example, but it's like a good example of like good British cinema. 
So my second choice is for anyone who feels like the apocalypse is, is getting too much for them and, and they need a good greet. And I recommend uh, Paddleton on Netflix, uh, which was co-written by and starring Mark Duplass and Ray Romano, which from Everybody Loves Raymond and most recently The Irishman. So it's kind of a buddy movie, but it's not really because it's about assisted suicide, which doesn't really sound like best basis for a, a buddy movie. Um, but basically... Um, Mark Duplass stars as Michael and Ray Romano stars as Andy and they're these kind of middle-aged single neighbours that live next to each other and their lives are very much formed of routine you know they play video games together they watch bad movies together they eat pizza together they play this game called Paddleton that they've that they've made up together and they're they kind of feel slightly on the spectrum the, the two of them it kind of sort of hints at that with their their routine and they just they just had this really beautiful kind of dependency on each other and friendship and that is obviously all uh, shattered when a uh, mark duplass's character is diagnosed with terminal cancer so basically the whole kind of film is literally on a, a countdown to the to the end like quite literally and i think what i loved about this film was it it, it wasn't one of those kind of over the top like kind of hollywood productions of you know this is me dying and this is how I've lived my life and look at me facing this I'm so brave it was it just focused on how mundane their their lives were like it wasn't showing you anything kind of extra special it was just showing you the sort of slow ebbing away of this really really special friendship there are a couple of funny moments in it the scene at the the pharmacy when Ray Romano's character tries to to pay for a prescription being the kind of obvious example of that or when they both end up in a a hot tub at a motel with a very frisky motel owner um but it's it's just so sad and bittersweet and beautiful and there's so many scenes throughout it where they sort of shout good night to each other through the wall and and you can tell that as much as obviously you know Mark Duplass's character is actually dying like part of Ray Romano's character is dying as well because he's losing the only person that he really has a relationship with in his life um, and I pretty much sobbed like from start to finish and it, it was like full on like snorters ugly crying and it took me about an hour after the film finished <laughs> to stop it was so so emotional but it's a really kind of underplayed, really subtle, low-budget indie film, and I, and I definitely think it's worth a watch. Like, Ray Romano really surprised me, because obviously, I mean, I sit and watch Everybody Loves Raymond in the, in the morning, and he's playing the goofball all the time, and, and this really surprised me. But really, really touching in how sort of subtle it is, and just sort of not the, the normal kind of Hollywood portrayal of this. But yeah, definitely worth a watch. I haven't heard of that. I haven't heard of that at all. Nope. I've heard of it, never seen it. Yeah. It's on Netflix. If I didn't see, it's really, really good. Yeah, I do. I do like Ray Romano. Yeah, I'm a big fan. Like, and that's what drew me to it because I saw his face on the the little kind of image on, on Netflix. I thought, oh, I'll give this a watch. And then about two hours later, my my tear ducts and my Kleenex supply didn't thank me for it. <laughs> I have went to Netflix for this one, and it's a movie that's recently just come on Netflix. The sequel was supposed to be out by now. But unfortunately, due to this absolute rubbish COVID-19, it's been delayed. I have went with 2018's A Quiet Place. Going with a post-apocalyptic horror film. Maybe a little on the nose. However, the last time I checked, we were all indoors because of a virus and not because of some strange alien-style monsters killing people. So I don't think it's really that similar. <laughs> so it's going on. 
Directed and starring John Krasinski. It also stars Emily Blunt. It's about a family who try to survive the apocalypse. And they live in a world where these strange creatures have appeared. They can't see, but they're hunting people by sound. Which means the family have to be as quiet as possible. And this really shows you how good a filmmaker that John Krasinski is. It's better, I mean, this is his debut movie, I believe. And yeah. to, to evoke that kind of tension and suspense is incredible. And you're watching the whole movie, and it's silent for the most part, total silence, little dialogue, and you're gripped. You're utterly hooked because you keep waiting for them to make a noise. And he also cast Millicent Simmons as his daughter, who's deaf in real life. He wanted a deaf actress because she would understand the role a lot better. But he also said she would make me understand. And having that kind of influence on the film or on him, I think really helped the movie. It was my film in the year in 2018. It's very similar to Tremors in a lot of ways when you think about it. But whereas Tremors was this glorious B-movie, this is a very effective horror. And... Yeah, I was just gripped from start to finish. There's a scene when Emily Blunt is giving birth and you think to yourself, okay, unless she's a Scientologist, how's this going to work? <laughs> and the whole well, I was scene... going to crack the Scientologist. <laughs> I'm, sh- I'm sure there's going to be plenty more room for Scientology jokes in this podcast. And you're just watching the whole scene and you're like, how is this going to play out? It's utterly tense and I just sat the whole film edging my seat gripping the armrest and when it finished I thought to myself they're leaving us open for a sequel and if they don't make one I'm cool with that but when I had the wear and I saw the trailer I thought oh no I'm definitely on board for this because this looks excellent I, I can't wait for it to be eventually released and if you haven't seen it or if you're just waiting to waiting for the new one it's worth going back to for a rewatch it's just a, a cracking film and maybe it's better watching in the house where people won't talk through it. I was lucky when I went to see it, people were quiet, but not everybody is as courteous as... No, I was in a cinema full of fucktards eh, that night. But it is, it's, I totally agree with you, it's a brilliant film, amazing directorial debut, and yeah, the, the giving birth scene, I just, I didn't know how they were going to pull it off. And it did really make you think about, like, the detail was incredible, because they were having dinner, but they'd swap like their plates for like palm leaves or something, because it just made you think about every single thing in your life that makes a noise, um, which would have been bad for me because I'm a crisp fiend. So. <laughs> <laughs> Try to watch it without any distractions. My second pick is the 2017 film Logan Lucky, which is another heist film. <laughs> I seem to be uh, <laughs> focusing on that rather than the impending apocalypse. The film is directed by Steven Soderbergh. It has a impressive cast, Channing Tatum, Adam Driver, Riley Keogh, and Daniel Craig sporting a blonde crew cut <laughs> and a most impressive West Virginian accent as well. Setting him up the... for a night out. <laughs> <laughs> the story itself revolves around the character of Jimmy Logan, who's played by Channing Tatum. He's laid off from a construction job that he's working on uh, at the Charlotte Motorway Speedway and in his desperation for money, he decides to rob the place. He basically gets together a gang of people. His brother, uh, Adam Driver, who's a, a Iraq War veteran. He only has 
one full arm and various other people, including the safecracker, which is the Daniel Craig character. And together they attempt this audacious heist of, uh, I think it's hundreds of millions of dollars uh, at a race on Memorial Weekend, which is one of the big weekends in America. Now, the film itself concentrates on the, the heist for about the first hour, and then the second hour, it goes on to what happens after the heist, which is not some something you normally see. It's usually all just all the preparation, everything to do with that, and then it's the heist itself, and maybe a wee sort of code at the end about how everything's okay, or it leaves it open for a sequel, like the, the Oceans films, for instance. This is slightly different in that respect. It goes into the investigation and everything that happens afterwards as well. And it really, really works very well because you don't get all the montages about how they're planning the the whole job or anything. It's really just Jimmy's got this idea in his head. He's got a set of rules he's got which he put, put pins up in his fridge a set of rules on how to commit uh, how to uh, carry out a robbery and they're all very sort of standard like don't get caught don't tell anybody <laughs> what you're doing you know always know when to leave that kind of idea and, and it's just as fantastic the interplay between uh, Jimmy and his brother is just absolutely fantastic you can tell that they worked on that chemistry aspect of it because they're so easy together Obviously, partly down to the fact that both Channing Tatum and Adam Driver are fantastic actors, but it just comes across as very easy. The whole feel of the film is quite light and easy. It's almost regarded as being a, it's almost like a no victim crime because there's nobody really getting harmed in it. There's no harm being done to anybody. So there's that whole aspect. There's a whole aspect of sort of rural America. These people from West Virginia who, in certain respects, are called hicks in a way, but they're not really. They're just working class people, same as everybody else. And this was in the middle of the John Denver renaissance as well, where uh, his songs seemed to feature in just just about every film. Uh, at that time, they have the Take Me Home Country Road song, which is featured quite heavily in it, and two sort of key scenes. And it just works very, very well. It's a lovely movie. It's definitely worth a couple hours of your time. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I'm glad you kind of mentioned the John Denver thing there as the use of his music and this works really well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the first scene he's uh, he's with his daughter and he's actually explaining how the song came together. Yeah. Uh, John Denver and two co-writers and how one of the co-writers never actually set foot in West Virginia in their life. <laughs> but they were still able to come up with a song. And it's that way, if, if hearing the words West Virginia doesn't automatically make you think of that song. I don't know what will. So right. yeah, I really, I really enjoyed the film myself. Uh, you said the cracking cast. It's good to see Daniel taking these sort of roles. I think we actually mentioned that on the Nice Out podcast. I mean, mentioned Logan Lucky mm-hmm. and being the, it's great to see him in these ones where he can just looks like he's having so much fun. <laughs> yeah, very, very underrated movie. It flew under the radar, I felt, for the most part. Absolutely, yeah. and as you say, like everyone seems like they're just having the best time. Like I love seeing Daniel Craig in these more kind of light-hearted roles, where he's got that like you know devilish twinkle in his eye, like sort of almost kind of you know nod to camera sort of thing. And Adam Driver is just amazing. But yeah, it didn't really seem to get as much attention as I thought it would, given the cast, the 
fact that Steven Soderbergh was obviously attached to it and you know it was quite a it's not like a low budget indie it did have you know quite a lot going for it but yeah as you say John it's like it goes beyond the sort of typical uh, heist movie and actually explores what happens afterwards but no I absolutely loved it I didn't realize that was uh, available for watching so thank you very much for bringing that to my attention cool just to mention as well Channing Tatum he's just built for these comedy roles he has the world's Mm. thickest neck <laughs> but I mean, you, you look at him, if you're looking at him from a casting agent point of view, you're like, this guy's clearly going to be the next big action hero. Mm-hmm. And he just seems to have found this niche in comedy and it really suits him. Well, he's brilliant in the Jump Street films. Exactly. He's, he's so good in the films. He's a bit good actor. I think he's a bit good. He was brilliant in A Guy to Recognize in Your Sense. Have you seen that? No. Yes, yeah, I've seen that. That's, that's quite a harrowing film, isn't it? But he was excellent in it. Yeah, and there's actually, speaking of talking about kind of music and scenes, there's an incredible scene with Channing Tatum in that, and Baker Street by Jerry Raffet is playing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely incredible. My final pick is something light-hearted, because Lord knows we all need it. Uh, this is a film that my parents have several embarrassing photographs of me dancing and singing along to when I was a, a child. And even as a fully grown adult, I will still push kids out the way in Disneyland to meet this particular character. I am, of course, talking about my namesake, Mary Poppins, the original movie, which is streaming on Disney+. Plus. Um, I suppose I can go into spoilers. The film's old enough, films out, what, 1964? So, obviously starring uh, Julie Andrews, uh, David Tomlinson and Cor Blimey, Dick Van Dyke. And it's the story of the the magical nanny who, of course, is not there to save the kids. She's there to save the parents. And I watched it as a child and I was utterly enthralled by the big song and dance numbers. Like if you're ever going to friend zone somebody, do it through the medium of song like Julie Andrews does. Um, And I, you know, I just get so caught up in the characters and the songs and the costumes and all the nonsense words that went along with it and all the kind of magic tricks of, you know, clicking your fingers and your room gets tidied. But I watched it again recently as an adult and I was absolutely taken aback by the David Tomlinson character of of Mr. Banks and how his character sort of disintegrates and has to get put back together uh, throughout the film. And it all kind of builds up to what I would call a sort of secular hymn in Let's Go Fly a Kite at the end. And it just, if that doesn't lift your spirits, you are absolutely broken. It's just, it's really joyous and it's got so much nostalgia for me. I just, I'm so in love with the movie. Um, and I, I definitely th- suggest that you watch this one. Uh, as much as Mary Poppins Returns is kind of light-hearted and along the same vein, you can't really beat the original as far as I'm concerned. I know, but Emily points in it. I knew you were <laughs> going to say that! <laughs> and, and to be fair, it's got also got uh, one of my other man crushes in Lin, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda. I'm sorry, you will never beat Dick Van Dyke's Cockney accent. It just no, no, cannot be think, done. I don't think anybody <laughs> will beat Dick Van Dyke's Cockney accent, apart from maybe... Charlie Hunnam. Oh, and oh, what's Green, that called? Green the, Street. Uh, I thought it was called Green Street. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, no, I just, I, I don't know if you guys have any great feelings towards this film. This is just something that because when I was wee, she was the the character was obviously also called Mary, so I was just kind of obsessed with it. But um, like the dancing penguins and all that sort of thing, and just the kind of it was quite. I mean, it was quite different for back kind of combining the animation with the the live action stuff and all they do it in bed knobs and broomsticks as well which is another uh, great movie but it's just something that really really takes me back to my childhood and as i say watching it as an adult made me see different things as to how i watched it as a as a kid 
Yeah, I would yeah. put Bed Knocks and Broomsticks and Pete's Dragon on that list for myself, but Mary Poppins was something that kind of passed me by. Yeah. Love Mary Poppins. I am always in bits every time I hear uh, Feed the Birds. That oh, just, God, yeah. It, it, yeah. It does, does for me every single time, and it's just, it's, it's not pretty. I'm <laughs> a bit of a mess afterwards. Oh, and while we're uh, talking about Mary Poppins, we demand videos from your parents. We want to see this dancing in front of the television. Well, thankfully, I think they don't exist anymore because my parents get rid of a whole bunch. I think the only video they ever hung on to was their own wedding video, and even then it can't be played because it's actually a video. But there are pictures still of me in a little bonnet in my living room, and you can see supercalifragilisticexpialidocious going on behind on the screen, and there's me in a wee party dress and a bonnet looking all... Oh. Of course, the photos of me, like, as a fully grown 20-year-old, like, basically throwing kids out the way at Disneyland. And I actually stood in the queue uh, and worked my way to the front because at five foot, there are kids that are, you know, taller than me. So I worked my way to the front and got up to this girl who was dressed as Mary Poppins, who was probably about the same age as me. And I ran up to her and I was like, my name's Mary too. <laughs> she just looked at me like I was out for the day. It's like, oh. <laughs> Uh, always willing to make a tit of myself for a good photograph. <laughs> it's important. I have went with a choice that, and it's also light-hearted. I've went for something I think people could have fun with and take their mind off the stresses of their lives just now. I went with Friday the 13th. <laughs> part. It's oh, Christ. Here we Jason, go. <laughs> Jason takes Manhattan. Now, parts one to eight, they're all on Amazon Prime just now. I believe this was the first Friday the 13th film I watched, and I must have watched this on a daily basis when I was younger. You don't have to have seen the rest of them to get what's happening. And oh, <laughs> the film is the a, a poorest box office for the franchise as to date when it came out. In fact, actually, it may still be the poorest box office franchise for uh, <laughs> the poorest box office for the franchise. It does have Kane Hodder as Jason, who I believe he's the only actor to star in more than one film as well, and he's most known for the role. That's all you really know when it comes to the cast. In terms of the plot, it's called Jason Takes Manhattan. You would be forgiven for thinking that it was centered on Jason being in New York City. Well, no, because the budget didn't really stretch that far, and most of the movie actually takes place on a boat. <laughs> so you know what? Jason's resurrected accidentally at Camp Crystal Lake, as he usually does in these films, and he stows away on a boat. These school kids are going to go to New York for their holiday. Now, Jason, like I said, they didn't make it to New York for the last 10 minutes of the film, but most of it is set on a boat. It really should be called Jason, Jason's Cruise, basically, <laughs> or Jason's Voyage, but it's, I mean, it's not a good film, it's really not. It's No, for part eight of a franchise? <laughs> it's terrible, but I absolutely love it. Like I said, it's the first Friday's filthy film I've seen. It's got some classic death scenes. It's totally balls to the wall, over the top. It's ridiculous. It's got a great cheesy 80s rock soundtrack. Uh, it basically personifies what you expect from a Friday the 13th film. 
accepts an abort. <laughs> Have any of you seen it? Um, surprisingly, no. <laughs> yep, right there with you, Mary. <laughs> like I say, you don't even have to have seen any of the other ones because basically at the beginning of the movie, you've got the two teenagers on a boat and the guy tries to teach his girlfriend and while doing this, it basically explains the plot <laughs> of the previous films. How does, how does that get someone into bed? Just humour me. <laughs> yeah, I'm not entirely sure, but it does work. And unfortunately for them, it doesn't end well. But as they're on, they're on the boat, they're on a boat, and this electrical cable is caught in the anchor, and it goes over Jason's body and resurrects him because, as we know, electricity brings people back to life. Now, without spoiling, especially the movie, water. Exactly. Without spoiling the movie too much, it does end definitively, and you think to yourself, "Oh yeah, this must be how they kill Jason first and for all." Eh, not really. They do bring him back for Jason goes to hell. Which was also supposed to be the last film. In fact, it was three films I can think of off the top of my head in this franchise. It was supposed to be the last one. <laughs> because Friday's 13th Part 4, when Corey Feldman kills him, that was called the final... I think it was called the final Friday, the final chapter. That was supposed to be the last one. They brought it back. They just couldn't stop making these films. And it's, apparently they have. The reboot managed to do something that other films did, and that was Kill Jason. I didn't know there was that many films attached to this franchise, if I'm being honest. Like, I didn't realise there was that many parts or sequels or whatever. So you've got the first one where Jason's not the killer. Scream, uh, any fans of Scream will know that. Mm-hmm. Drew Barrymore didn't and she got killed. The <laughs> second one is the debut of Jason. You've got Freeze, Jason. Four, Jason gets killed. Five's a copycat killer. It's awful. Six, this is, a, this is the debut of the zombie supernatural Jason. Jesus Christ. Seven finds Jason versus Carrie. They're not really Carrie, but it's basically supposed to be her, a psychic teenager with powers. Eight's Jason on a boat. Nine's the final Friday, which is terrible, but it does set up Friday versus Jason, which is awesome. But that doesn't come for a few years in between now with Jason X, which is set in the future, and Jason becomes a cyborg. <laughs> Do you think there's like exec producers in this are literally just sitting with like a fishbowl full of ideas and pulling one out and going cyborg okay yeah that'll be the next movie do you know the worst thing about it all is there's been 12 of these films there hasn't actually been a friday the 13th part 13 but the marketing possibilities for this are clearly it just writes itself but they haven't made it yet and it upsets me up to you simmy get the script going because it could just call this film friday the 13th I feel like you're already designing posters in your head and you've already cast Emily Blunt and Tom Hardy so you should just go with that I was going to pick it from a Blumhouse remake but I didn't because (laughs) I I still want Freddy vs Jason 2 as well and that's not going to happen I also want Freddy vs Jason vs Ash I was supposed to make Freddy vs Jason vs Pinhead I don't know why these films weren't made because Freddy vs Jason made a fortune in the box office but anyway I digress John what's your last pick (laughs) <laughs> well since you two have both chosen light-hearted ones for your last pick my last pick is the platform 2019 film which has just debuted on netflix over the last week it is a spanish sort of science fiction horror film directed by galder galtule Uriata, I believe, is a really, really bad 
version of your we'll, name. We'll edit those films out, it's fine. Oh, yeah. I'm sure we will, yes. <laughs> the film itself focuses on a character called Goring, who wakes up in a concrete cell with the number 48 on the wall. He's found himself there across from his cellmate, uh, a guy called Trimigasi, who explains that they in a, they're in a tower-like structure with a number of levels. Now, in the middle of the room, there is a big hole, and coming come down that hole is a platform that is laden with food. Now, the way that it works is the food starts from level zero, and people start eating as the platform goes down. And obviously, the further down you are, the less chance you're actually going to have to get something to eat. It's all about the way that people panic <laughs> in situations. <laughs> it's very, very appropriate for, for this moment in time. Obviously, if you're laden with food, then you're going to try and get as much in your gob as possible. And it plays on people's fears and it plays on people's perceptions of other people as well. One of the things it does go into is why people are actually in this platform prison in the first place. Some some of them basically are self-isolating. They want to get away from something. The main character, he wants to quit smoking and he finds that this is the best way to do it. Obviously a very extreme way to do it because <laughs> he can't have any cigarettes at all. Whereas his initial cellmate, he is in there for because he was convicted of involuntary manslaughter. So there's all different reasons and he gets to see a whole cast of characters. Uh, they, they go in between various levels. They don't always stay on the level they're assigned. They can go down, they can go up. And it's how that they interact with the people who are above and below them. And some of the themes around it are trying to spontaneously make people become more socialist and like have something for everybody and how that works and how it fails or how it succeeds. It's just it's a really interesting film, obviously, with the, the basis of it being a, a science fiction film and being a, a horror film as well. It really, really works very well. And it's one of these films that you need to go over the, the one inch barrier at the bottom of the subtitles and really enjoy. I don't think it would be really suitable for uh, a US remake. It would be changed too much. It just works very well as a 9,500-minute film. The Americans don't believe in uh, socialism anyway, so it would, be, <laughs> it would be lost. I really, really want to see this. You mentioned this on the last pod or before or after when we were chatting. Um, I really fancy this. I, I'm going to put it on my watch list. I'm quite excited about watching it. Mm-hmm. Yep. It may even be one that we could discuss in the future as a proper movie obviously we've still got all all got access to it and we're not cinema worthy at any point in the near future thomas you heard of it at all i've seen it advertised but i haven't actually i didn't know anything about it until you mentioned it there yeah it's done really well on the festival circuit it won the midnight madness people's choice award and also won the Best Feature Film Award at the Sitges Film Festival. So it's really found its audience, and I think it's going to do really well. In fact, this week on Netflix, it was ranked as the number 10 film, 
which is not bad going for a Spanish language film. Absolutely. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah. Intriguing. Thanks, thanks, guys, for your, your suggestions. That's, there's uh, nine films for everybody to go and ignore Because <laughs> 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 that's what tends to happen with these things, isn't it? Because there's so much to watch and you get in list. Back in the day, somebody would recommend a film to you and you'd watch it. And now you're like, yeah, yeah, I'll put it on my list. <laughs> <laughs> and we all know those Netflix, this Netflix list never got watched. But no, there's, I'm intrigued by some of these suggestions. I'll be checking them out myself. And I hope you do it at home as well. Some of you have a lot more time, unfortunately, than you previously did. From a news point of view, I did see earlier that Wonder Woman will be delayed to August, so the rumours have been released straight to on demand are not true. It is going to go straight to the cinema. I won't. I don't want to speak about it too much because we spoke about this in detail quite a lot in the, the last pod. We were all quite happy with that. And with some more local news, the Lockdown Film Festival has been suspended this year. And it was postponed. Oh. And it will pick back up next year, which is a shame. Understandable Absolutely. in the circumstances, but a real yeah, shame. Yeah, very much so. That was scheduled for the end of July. And yeah, just through circumstances, it's been postponed to next year. So Surely yeah, we're not going up. to be in the midst of this apocalypse at the end of July. I hope not, but they also have their screenings in a school. Oh, it's right. close to August. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah, and there's a whole submissions thing as well, isn't there? Obviously, people have to submit films for it, and if it's new stuff, then people are actually still trying to make films at this time of year for submission into festivals over the summer, so they may yeah. not get the content. It's a wise decision. It's a shame, obviously, from our point of view as well, because we obviously enjoy the voting, yeah, festival and yeah. voting yeah. for it and everything like that, so yes, but best of luck to them for next year obviously absolutely and we'll be showing our support next year um as well i think that's what I, a lot what's come out of this a lot actually is that a lot of people are really really tuned into how much cinema does make a difference to their their lives without sounding too corny and that they're they're, they're desperate to get back out and, and show their support for the people who work in the industry in any capacity whether it's you know you've ripped up the tickets at any world or you're actually like a short filmmaker like i think people are desperate to to really support people within the industry which is nice nice to hear indeed well hope You've enjoyed the latest episode of the Movie Scramble podcast. It's a bit different this time because, well, <laughs> the world's a bit different. But you can still contact us with your suggestions and maybe we should be watching over the coming weeks. And you can get a hold of us at Movie Scramble, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. John, where can they find their email address? I keep getting it wrong, so I keep putting it to you. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's podcast.moviescramble.co.uk. I will need to write this down. And if anybody wants to get a hold of Mary, her DMs are open, but please don't confuse her love for Dick Van Dyke with anything else. Slide in gently, people. Slide in gently. <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed it. Please let us know if you have any suggestions for the upcoming podcast. Is maybe a classic film you'd like to see us review? Something terrible you'd like to see us review? <laughs> Stop pushing Maniac Cop, Thomas. <laughs> I'm going to send you the trailer for Maniac Cop when this podcast is done. It's essentially a summary of the film, so you won't have to see it. <laughs> but thanks very much for your time. Uh, stay safe, everyone. Take care. Bye, guys. Bye.